Hi everyone, I'm April. And I'm Christine. Before we get started, we wanted to warn you that the following content contains adult language, activities, and violence, and may not be suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Southern Discomfort. This is one of the most unique podcasts on the internet. Southern tales of the weird, wild, mysterious, unusual, voodoo, Voodoo. cryptids, hauntings. Are you intrigued yet? This is Southern Discomfort. Southern Discomfort. And now, your hosts, April and Christine. Welcome back, y'all. You're listening to Southern Discomfort. And we're your host, April and Christine, and this is part two of Jessica Chambers. Yes, welcome back. We're going to get into the trial that starts in October of 2017. Um, You have the prosecuting team, John Champion, the district attorney, and the assistant district attorney, Jay Hale. And for the defense is Darla Palmer and Alton Peterson, who were hired by Quentin Tellis's family. And so there's the barrage of witnesses that they, they, they bring. Um, Keisha, uh, the friend that was with Jessica and Quentin the morning of her murder, um, the first responders who recount the horrific details um, of Jessica's appearance and things that she they stated that she said. Um, and, you know, again, it's it's the hair fried. It looks like she um, stuck her finger in a light socket. There's. Uh, accounts of black charred skin that were peeling off her body. Um, Some areas look like normal skin, the deep dermal burns and the real uh, breathy sounds and gurgling sounds when she tried to talk, which is just, again, gut-wrenching. And they were the ones that said she looked like the walking, a zombie from The Walking Dead? Yeah. Wow. Um, that just sums it all up right there. It does. Uh, especially the kid who knew Jessica and of course didn't, or didn't recognize her straight away. But then when he heard her name, you know, he was just, you know, just, it's unimaginable the impact that that has. Right. And then you still have to do your job. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I can't imagine. So, uh, again, I mean, like, I, I can't even fathom what that must have been like uh, to arrive on the scene and see her in that condition. But so there are at least two first responders that testify that they saw a middle aged black man walk up on the scene the night of. Okay, but does he have accelerant on him? No. Well, they they don't say. They just all that is said is that he walks up on the scene, he was wearing a blue shirt. He was asked to leave and as he was walking away, he, you know, glanced backwards to obviously, you know, take in what was happening. But they said just as he got out of sight, he had a white shirt on. Almost like 
what I got from that is, is he had on layers and I guess the assumption is that he took off a blue shirt and had a white shirt underneath. And why would he take his shirt off? We don't mm -hmm. know because it seems that this is never investigated any further. Okay, wait. I just got what you said. See, <laughs> she's the smart one. It's <laughs> <laughs> not true, but... <laughs> like, I thought you meant something totally different, which is why I asked about the accelerator. You're probably like, no. <laughs> anyway, like, any, any... Oh, my gosh. This, they didn't this say anything. Flying tigers. <laughs> to me. Okay. <laughs> But, but so is, is this, is this, um, possibly someone who wants to insert himself in the scene, like to check it out like they do if they like, like literally somebody well, who sets the fire and then just kind of sits there and waits to see what happens. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's, that's one of the things that, that needs to be talked through, like the right. fact that, you know. It, like I said, it, it it seems like it was not investigated further. There's no, um, nobody talks about it any further on either side. And it's like, okay, hold up. Yeah, I know, right? You know, this is pretty important. Why was that not a glaring? Yeah. At least let's take a second look at this. Right. So he just, okay, so let me get this straight. He just walks up. Like, yeah. hey, there's a car on fire. Just walks up. And granted, now, as you mentioned earlier, this is a rural road. The yeah. nearest house is like a mile away. What's he doing just walking up on the scene? And then he just walks away nonchalant? And then just walks away because he's asked to leave. Nobody asks him any questions. Like, what are you doing here? Right, right. Like, <laughs> you random rando that just pops up on the scene. Right, and it's like, just get him out of here. Well, wait a second. Right. Yeah, and then they've so, never gone back and, and questioned or found... Uh, well, they probably don't even know who he is. Right. Because no one so, asked the thing. Okay. you know, not, not going to accuse or implicate anybody. Obviously, I was not there. I don't know these people. I, I can't, you know, speak on that. But I, again can't emphasize how much I feel like that should have been yeah that right it should have been like, like hey who are you and what right let's let's ask some questions here no right because okay. what if he had seen something what if he knew something right yeah. he's just immediately asked to leave you know that's happened many times where the arsonist is in the crowd yeah Hidden yeah. in plain sight. Right. Yeah. Because they want to so know nobody, what's going on. And, it, and admire their work, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And at, at, granted, at this time of the trial, it does not appear that it was investigated further. So we'll, we will circle back to that. And also, Rando, if you are truly innocent, why don't you just go back, hey, I was the... Mr. Rando and I just kind of popped up on the scene and I was just walking that night because, you know, it's December 6th in North, in North Mississippi, you know, it's just, it's what I do. Random man. Right. 
But I don't know any. But, but then, too, if you're innocent, are you just going to be like, hey, hi, I'm innocent. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, you'd be like, no, I'm not going to. Maybe he just happened to be walking up on it, and he's not going to insert himself anymore. Right. Like, well, they, I mean, that very well could be. I just feel like it deserved at least a raise of an eyebrow. I'm at sure. At least. Sure. Absolutely. Yes. So, at, at any rate. Uh, that um, is kind of a, what? Okay. All right. Okay. So, we have another head scratcher, too. Um, you know, this, as I said before in the first part, this trial is is all hinging on um state's evidence which you know one of the components to that is is quentin's statements he actually deleted all communications from his phone shortly after her murder yeah i saw that and i know we are we have reserved the end and we will go ahead and i guess it will go ahead and full disclosure at the end of of uh, Christine's presentation, we are gonna cu- kind of get down to the nitty gritty, as they say, and mm-hmm. and kind of try to flesh this out. Really, our thoughts. Yeah, anyway. yeah. Because, well, so he deleted all communication, which obviously the text. Um, I'm I'm sure, you know, history, call history, all that good stuff. Um, and he said it was because he didn't want a deceased person's information in his phone. Now, and like like I said, and you said, we, we will continue to flesh this out. Uh, you know, I have some thoughts on that that I definitely want to go back to. Okay. Um, yeah. But, so going back to... Derek or Eric or Eric or Derek's the guy's name was Derek Holmes that alibied out. Okay. And that is just another the foot rubber. thing that warrants at least a, a second look. Uh, because, you know, he had his uh, alibi corroborated by his brothers and his mother. Right. And that was it. It was just enough to say oh, okay yeah i was here rubbing her feet <laughs> i mean he said uh-huh. they said so he was rubbing her feet so it's legit right nothing to see right. here move along so well, and that could well you know what i'm gonna save that for the yeah i mean I, I think it'll be interesting to to look closer at this but so Quentin Tillis remembers that later in the day of her murder, he met up with Jessica at M&M, which is the convenience store, <laughs> to give her some money for some food. That makes and me want M&M's. And, right. <laughs> I mean, I want some you know, M&M's you gotta, you gotta and eat. M&M's, right? Okay, go ahead. You I'm sorry. So, um, he says he then left. He borrowed Big's Mike, Big Mike's truck and went on his way she went on her way but according to video footage from Eminem that was actually <laughs> the day before so okay he, he did in fact meet her he they are on video they met up you can see there's an exchange and then 
they leave, but it's not the day of, it's the day before. Oh, that the old, like, I'm going to give you truth, but I'm not going to give you the truth that you're looking for on the day you're looking for it. Right, right. And, you know, like you said before, though, it's some 10 months after almost a year. Maybe his memory was fuzzy. Right. Right. Maybe he couldn't remember if it was that day because he didn't do it. Right. Absolutely. And if it is a mundane day to him because he didn't do it, then those details would be fuzzy. Like, I, I, yes. Okay. I would definitely give you that. Because why would that stand out? Exactly. So, and, and of course, this was all in the, um, when they initially questioned him in the beginning, but then they go back a couple months later. Again, he's still incarcerated in Monroe, Louisiana. And then he's presented with this quote, irrefutable unquote phone data, which (laughs) again, and I feel like it bears repeating. This is data that this analyst actually shifted based on GPS and cell phone tower pings to align with the defense's, I'm sorry, the prosecution's version of the facts. Okay. Gotcha. Um, And then when he's questioned again, he remembers that he, he met Jessica in the parking lot of Taco Bell and Batesville, which is six, like you said, five or six miles away. Um, and then, then he says that the two of them went back to his house after Taco Bell. So again, the story changes. Yeah. And I saw that he did change his story, which does make you say, "Mm, changing your story. Why is that? But at the same time, like you said, if, if you didn't do it and it's several, it's almost a year later, nine to 10 months Mm -hmm. later better half of a year, then maybe you are misremembering your days. Right. It's possible. Very it's much. absolutely possible. I, I, yeah, I agree with that. That is so possible. At fi- again, at 524, they have Jessica on video at the M&M convenience store. Um, and according to cell phone data, she calls Quentin at 529. And I'm going to run through the timeline that I have. And it, you know, feel free to interject if if it doesn't align with the timeline that you have. Um, because I think it's interesting the way they develop these timelines based on... Uh, my, my altered timeline data. data. Okay. <laughs> shifty data. I have the shifty data, which I'm like, oh, right here. <laughs> and you're like, no. They altered it. I'm like, oh, well, never mind then. All right. Carry on. I mean, and you know, I could be wrong, but I just find him a little shifty. So Shifty. Just shifting. You're shifting data around. I don't know if I trust that. I don't know. <laughs> so, okay. So, between... 5.34 and 6.30-ish, they are in Batesville and then return to Quentin Tillis's um, about, let's see, uh, 6, 
well, okay. sorry. Let me let me get this straight. Oh, okay, so yeah. between the time of 5.34 and 6.30, they're in Batesville and they go back to his house. Yes. Okay, so that all I, happens. I mean, again, it's a five to six minute trip. I have that, yes. They go, eat. they get, get Taco Bell, they come back, they go to his driveway. Apparently, they hung out in his driveway a lot, I guess. Um, he would, says they smoked in the driveway and I guess talked for a bit or whatever else transpired. Because there were people says, in his house. So I guess they were trying to like, you know, maybe not walk up in there and smoke weed with them. Smoke weed in the car. In the car. Fool around or whatever. Have privacy, basically. Yeah. what it, Just to hang out, just the two of them. Right. So he says she leaves about 7 o'clock. Um, so there is a time period between... 6.49 and 7.30 where there appears to be no activity on either her or his phones. Yes. This is according to old Shifty. Okay. Shifty. <laughs> so he's saying that there's no activity. Well, turns out there is a guy, his last name is Levitin, I believe. He's an electrical engineer, and he is often um, called in to testify in Panola County on cell phone usage matters like this. Anything that has to do with this electronic data oh, okay. transfer. Okay. So he's basically like their expert that they bring in. Well, he wasn't brought into this um, case. However, he did review... I, I might get in a lot of trouble for calling him shifty, but um, <laughs> that's what he did, though, right? I mean, I mean he shifted over and shifty. So, <laughs> by definition. So, okay, what, he has a chance to review this shifted data. Let me put it that way. Okay. And he says, if you had asked me, I would have told you this is not your guy. Okay, wait. So, real quick, shifted. We're talking about times, like large chunks of, well, maybe not large, but chunks of time shifted over to fit. Placement of people oh. is shifted. Oh. oh. Yeah. Oh. They place okay. people at certain times to okay. fit their timeline. All right. Okay. And don't take my word for it. Like, do your own research and watch the Oxygen um, six-part documentary. Okay. Um, don't take my word for it. Watch it. Form your own opinion. This is, I'm just speaking from what I think. And I watched the first part, and I thought that was the whole thing. And <laughs> it's a good thing I was not the presenter this this, <laughs> this topic. So. <laughs> Anyway. Well, and one of the things that this guy Levitin says is uh, once he reviews everything, he's like, no, actually, there is activity on Quentin Tellis' phone. It's not a text message per se, but it's text being sent to a website at least three times between 649 and 730. So he's disputing the fact that they both go essentially dark for almost an hour. Okay. A website. What? I'm trying like uh, Twitter or Facebook. Gotcha. Or okay. It could be any website. It could be email. It could uh, be. So he's accessing just, something from his phone. Yeah. He's some kind of 
so text is being sent through a website, gotcha. whether social media or email, or I, I didn't do a good job of explaining that, but, no, um, I gotcha. Okay. So, and, so again, it's not this text message necessarily, but right. there is activity is what he's saying. Okay. And then it, uh, so he says she left about seven. Well, on video footage from Eminem, a car is seen leaving his driveway at 726. Yes, I have that. So at 742, Quentin calls her phone and she doesn't answer. Um, a little bit later, then he sends a text message saying, hey, bae, got a friend coming over some such something good night sweet dreams yes um obviously that's a paraphrase of what he said i have 742 for that yeah that's happened at 742 okay but this is shifty (laughs) well and we're going by shifty's timeline okay oh gotcha oh well that's why we have the same thing okay yeah sorry again i wasn't very clear on that but this is going by the the, their timeline so they say 750 vehicle is seen pulling into the driveway at quentin tellis's is there for about 96 seconds at 752 leaves again is that when he supposedly pulls up to the shed not yet okay Yes, no, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. So, oh, God, shit, sorry. So, (laughs) in a previous... Can you imagine, uh, though, in a... If they are... If they are um, presenting this in a courtroom in in front of a jury, like, how it could be, like, oh, I gotta keep this straight, I gotta, you know, this timeline and... So, one thing I neglected to mention before is that when Quentin Tillis is originally questioned, I don't know if it was the first or second occasion they had to question him, he said, he offers up the fact that he there's a shed in front of his house where he keeps a five-gallon gas can. Wow. And that's not prompted. Like, he just tells them that. He's like, hey, I, there's a shed in front of my house. I do keep a gas can there. And to your point, they're going to, they're going to say that this 90 second period is when they think he goes back for that. Right. But, and we'll get into this, but that's, that even still, if that's how they shifted it to put it there, or if that's how to make you think that he's going there to get or drop off a five gallon gas container. It still doesn't make sense of how, anyway, we could get into all that about how he would go back to where the car was and, and use this accelerant, you know what I right. mean? Yeah. Okay. But anyway. Well, exactly. And that, that, that's exactly the point of, of cramming all this into this tight timeline. But right. they say that at 804, he is seen driving past Eminem going towards Bates and then he is actually seen on video at either a Piggly Wiggly or Fred's dollar store um, purchasing a cash card. Okay, like a- I have to stop you right there. I love that they have a Fred's because <laughs> I have fond memories of Fred's. And for those of you who don't know, it's like a dollar store. It's like um, a... 
precursor to Dollar General, maybe? Or yes. I guess they were around at the same time, but it was like the dollar store growing up. And then some of them in these smaller areas, at least in Mississippi anyway, had pharmacies in them. So they they weren't just like you're just something to sneeze at dollar store. Right. Well, (laughs) that sounds so funny to say, but they were they were substantial. it's an interesting tidbit is that they carried the same type of um, home decor as like Kirkland's. Like it was the same. Yes. Right. It's from the same distributor. So you could find some really, really nice like home decorations for super cheap. Right. And Fred's. You know, some of the That's other stuff. Was, right. I just had to stop you there because you just triggered a memory. A childhood and sadly enough, Fred's has completely gone out of business. It's right. no longer um, yeah. operating anywhere. Sad. Yes, very. Um, so he's he's seen on video uh, between eight oh four and eight thirty ish, I think. By eight fifty seven, he is back. On video at Eminem in a complete change of clothes. Um, he hears about the fire, but does not attempt to contact Jessica. Oh, I didn't come across that. And I'll just throw this out there that I didn't think about when we were researching this, but it just kind of crossed my mind that this is a Saturday night, like you said. Um, like you said in the, in the uh, part one. It's a yeah. Saturday night at eight o'clock. If you're if you've gone home and taken a shower and changed, that's not abnormal. That's not it's abnormal. Not. That, yeah, it's not because you're getting ready for freaking Saturday night. Like right. you had on your day clothes earlier. Right. You got on your you got on your your Saturday night clothes. Exactly. Because if you're innocent, then you know you just went home, changed, and like now you're ready for the nighttime. And so, keep in mind that, um, but I see. I did not I, know he knew about the fire, though. That's, well, let me let me say too. At six forty one, is actually the last time that Jessica's cell phone is used. Okay. So it was as early as six forty one, but also remember that the two passers by saw the fire called it in at 807 so you you have to imagine that it happened somewhere between like a couple minutes before eight i mean that's just my best deduction right and i did see um somewhere i don't have it in front of me but i did see where they thought it was 7.30, but does it take 30 minutes to burn a car? Like, that feels like a long time to me. Um, Well, the thing to me is that, so, the two people that call it in, they say the car's engulfed in flames. I don't know how long it takes to burn a car. We could probably Google it. I don't know. (laughs) Right, right. And then if there's accelerant on her, I'm sure there's accelerant on the car. Oh, that but if it's like fire. fully in flames, it has to be like super recent. Yes. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, just from what I, oh my gosh, and I feel like I used to listen to these people and they say, I am not a lawyer, so I, you know, don't take legal advice at me from me, or I'm not a medical, and then now I feel like I'm not a firefighter, so do not take, you know, now I know why people say that, because I'm about to say something, I feel like I need to preface with that. But well, I, just, I know, like, I'm not an expert in, you know, fuck all, but I just right, know right. what I read. I, I just feel like fire <laughs> burns very fast. <laughs> and I don't really, now that I'm trying to recall in my mind, I'm like, how do I know this? I'm like, I really can't give you a good reason, but I just feel like no. it burns very fast. And 30 minutes to me seems like a long time, honestly. It does. It Well, it seems like a long time. Although they did say that her burns were indicative of high, high, high temps and prolonged exposure. Oh, but, okay. Well, maybe and, so. Okay. Okay. We won't rule it so, out. So, I mean, obviously, we don't know. We're not investigators only, either. My deduction is that it happens somewhere right before eight. Okay. And okay. I could be wrong about that, obviously. Because we're not be investigators either. Like, we've got a long <laughs> list of what we're not. <laughs> uh, let us tell you what we're not. Right. So, the defense says uh, that, um, I'm sorry, not the defense. The prosecution says he's with Jessica Chambers on Heron Road, which is the crime scene. He had somehow, they, they, <sighs> I'm going to say they spin this story because there's no evidence that she had somehow been incapacitated during sex. So they spin this story that that's what happened. And he drove her out there. And then when he drives her out there, she's incapacitated. So he leaves on foot. That's when he drops the keys. Um, He's on his way to his sister's house to borrow her truck. And they say this is when he drives to his house, gets the gas can, drives back to the scene, douses her with accelerant, lights her on fire, and drives back to Batesville in time to be seen on camera so he can have an alibi. Like, what? Uh, Right, because what was she doing? And then we'll get into this further. Let's not forget to come back to this. Because I don't think this is the place for it at this moment. But I did want to just say, okay, so she's supposedly incapacitated in the car at this point while he's doing the running back to get the, yeah, the accelerant and then coming it. back. But then by the time they, she's been burned and then the first responders show up to her, she's walking around. like, You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like That just doesn't reconcile to me. No, to me either. Yeah. Okay. I don't know how you could reconcile that. Right. Well, the other problem that I have with this is that this is a super tight timeline to your point, which this, that means that it would have taken massive planning and forethought. Like you can't. Right. 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 If you're, if you're running this tight of um, agenda, you're right. You're exactly right. You would have to have freaking every single like point when you'd have to be there to the moment. Yeah. I just feel like you'd honestly have to be super 
sly and super smart and clever to pull this off. Like the, I, it just doesn't to me look mm. like something that somebody could do in the moment. Right. And then we'll, we'll get into this further, but it, but then to your point though, if it's a crime of opportunity, then wow, you kind of have to feel the same way too, but we'll, we'll flesh that out later. Yeah. So which makes this whole thing, I, w- I would just go back and forth. Well, I do too. Like, I'm, I, I, it may sound like I've settled on, you know, something, but truly I have not. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, I feel like there's definite problems with the investigation. The fact that only the car was considered to be the crime scene. I mean, and you kind of explained why that would be. But at the same time, I'm like, nobody investigated the area around it. Nobody, you know, um, explored the random man. I mean. (laughs) Right, right. Let's look at everything. And we're going to take a break right here. And we'll be right back. song me too this is my new favorite song i think you better slow down though you're going kind of fast uh-oh it's too late uh-huh. oh my god it's a motorcycle cop that reminds me i've been listening to this new podcast called motor cop chronicles podcast motor cock chronicles motor cop Chronicles. Get your mind out of the gutter. I mean, they do wear those tight pants and boots. And bike. Oh, my God. The Iceman, the host of the show, he is so hilarious. He tells all of his stories from from people that he stopped and pulled over and crashes. He has rants that he goes on about people and, and their habits and bad habits and everything. He does it in the news section. It is so funny. You're going to have to listen to it. I guess I'm going to have to check out Motor Cop Chronicles then. Yes, you are. Ma'am, I pulled you over for doing 80 and a 45. I'm going to need your driver's license, insurance, and registration, please. Okay, well, I was not going 80. I'm not here to argue with you. I need the information now. Fine. All right, stand by. I'll be right back. I wonder if that was the Iceman. I don't know, but if it was, that means we might be on his next podcast. Maybe so. All right, ma'am, I need you to sign right here. It's not admission of guilt. The state you're going to pay a citation or show up in court. All right, thank you. Drive safe. Yes, sir. You too. Oh, my God. It was the Iceman. You see right here on this ticket? He signed it, the Iceman. We are so on the next podcast. He is going to mention us. I wonder if he thought we were cute. Oh, my God, yes. I'm definitely going to check out Motor Cop Chronicles to see if we're on there. It's so funny.
again, basically, it's all hinging on Quentin's statements. His DNA that he cannot be excluded from on the keys. Um, the cell phone data. And all, which is, the cell phone data has obviously overwhelmed people in the courtroom. Um, and I'm quite sure the jury, because it overwhelms me. Yes. Um, how they realigned it. Absolutely. Yes. How it's, how it works that way. I, obviously it's beyond my scope of intelligence. I will admit that, but at the same time, it's very questionable. So the, and, and again, you know, I'm just, I'm just basically giving a, an overview of, of what happens it's it's not at all in, in great detail, but so the jury sends a note that, uh, well, the jury goes into deliberation and then eventually they send a note and say that they've reached a verdict. So they come back out into the courtroom and the judge asks if they've reached a, a verdict. The foreman says, yes. Um, so the not guilty verdict is read. And after it's read, one juror says, we all didn't agree on the verdict. I said he was guilty. And the courtroom loses its mind. Uh, you know, clearly yeah. this is going to uh, upset. I mean, the family is already, they've already heard the not I'm saying Jessica's family has already heard the not guilty verdict and they're already just yeah. you know gutted and while they are initially taking that in and you know it's beginning to process then the guy says no I didn't agree I said he was guilty right so the judge says, well, you know, you were given clear instructions that, you know, you had to reach a, uni a unanimous verdict. In the state of Mississippi, it is 12, 12 and 0. Yes. Like, you, you, either way, 0 and 12, 12 and 0. You gotta, you have to have... right. A unanimous verdict. You can't, you, you can't be split or you and can't be. And what's hard to, to understand about that? If that's your instruction. Right. And it's almost like, did you change your mind? I mean. Well, and, and this is, the, these are the jurors for, uh, from Pike County. Like these are our people. Yeah. Um, right. So. I was like, come on, Pike well, County, y'all can do better than this. <laughs> like, well, that's the thing embarrassing. Is, you know, there are things that we can defend right. about. Right, which, like I said in the first part about the accent, you know, you can't help that. That's where you're from. And I can defend that, but I can't defend. <laughs> oh, you're not wait. understanding this way. It gets better. It gets better. Okay. So he sends them back in and they come back out again. And again, the not guilty verdict is read. Okay. Well, the defense, I'm sorry, the prosecution says, mm, let's poll the jury. 
let's you know let's be sure that we're sure that this is this is the verdict so they go down and you've got you know some some say guilty some say not guilty you've got guilty guilty not guilty guilty guilty, guilty. so basically you have a hung jury mistrial wow wow so not once but twice, you come back out and say you've reached a unanimous ver- verdict when, in fact, you have not. What a cluster. <laughs> what a cluster. <laughs> you know, so, again, there's obvious confusion around... Like, are death. we just trying to get out of the jury room at that point? Like, like, what, like what part of us? You don't understand. Unanimous. So I was listening, and I can give a little shout out here, but I was listening to um, Morbid podcast. They have an episode, and um, I think it was there's it's Ash and Elena, the hosts, and I think it was Ash that said, "Where did they find these people?" And I was like, uh, same girlfriend from my hometown. Well, you say from- that, but it, they said Pike County. And it's a possibility. Like, they could be from not from Macomb. Right. <laughs> Pike County is pretty big. So, I say hometown, but mm, home county, is that a thing? Right. Like, yeah, it is. I, I would. I, we didn't have enough time, but I was like. I wanted to look but when into- she said that, I like felt it hard. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, my people, my people." <laughs> oh, God. Like, come on, so, Pike County, you can do better than that. We have to do better. We we have to do better, Pike County. Right? Because so, I don't want to be like, "Oh, that's my claim to fame." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and and in the Oxygen documentary, they do have a woman, um, very intelligent woman, that that they interview, and 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 she, you know, she she talks about it and the confusion and how her, um, how her cogers were confused, and you know, I guess point being that if I were to put myself in one of their places I wouldn't have I don't know that I would have been able to make an individual decision based on what was presented oh sure yeah and I I just wanted to say to shout out to our mom who's our biggest fan she is when we told her she she, of course she's always want to know what our topics are going to be and what we're going to do next and so we told her about this case, and I had not heard of this um, when it happened. It wasn't until after uh, it was covered um, by several. Well, 2014, I yeah, I, and then then it really didn't blow up until just a few years ago, I guess. Because, like you said, it wasn't even nine. It was nine or ten months later after. Um, yeah. After she died, that they even had a suspect. Um, Quentin tell us so um, anyway that being said I I didn't even hear about this and then we told mom we're like oh we're gonna do Jessica Chambers and then we told her about it um, got into the details and she knew exactly this case 
She had heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I asked her if she knew any of the jurors and she said she didn't think so. I mean, not that that's of any consequence. It's just that I guess it lends to the fact that it's such a small town, close knit communities. Um, I mean, I don't know if it's still that way, but growing up, everybody sort of kind of knows everybody by some degree of separation. Right. And you would have to know our mom as well because she knows everybody. (laughs) They know her. (laughs) She's probably the only person that I know that could go to New York City and run into somebody she knows on an elevator. We were at at, uh, Disney Disney World, and well, she knew somebody. Disney World, New York City, like she. See we were in Ten- We were on a trip in Tennessee. She saw somebody. Yeah. <laughs> Wherever she goes, she. But and that's not that's all around town too. So of course, so she knew she knew this. Um, she worked at a local newspaper for years, right. and she's just very well connected. And she um, she absolutely knew this story. Yeah, and. Uh, Oddly enough, it it happened, let's see, I left Mississippi in February of 2014. This happened in December. Oh, okay. Um, But I was just, you know, in Louisiana. It's not like I was terribly far away. And I do remember how horrific the story was hearing about it initially. But so he's retried in October of 2018. Um, This time they import a jury from 120 miles away. And admittedly, I'm not exactly sure where the, um, the location where the jury comes from this time, but there's, there are new witnesses. They bring in a speech language pathologist to speak on whether or not she would be able to clearly enunciate um, the things that um, had been reported. Um, they do bring first responders back. They bring the first first responder back. And he actually was the young guy that knew her and was so deeply affected by it. But he comes back and, like, changes his story and says that she very clearly says, help me, help me, I'm going to die, which is not what he said the first time, the first go around. And that was four years later? Yeah. Okay. And, you know, again, there were testimonies that she had very breathy garbled um sounds um and that some of them were not comprehensible uh, or is that a word i don't yeah. know i, I just yeah. made it one if it's not <laughs> um and they also have the mississippi crime lab comes back and this time quentin tellis is can be excluded from the DNA on the keys. Mm, okay. And then the whole shifty comes back with his <laughs> cell phone data. Shifty. <laughs> shifty. Um, shifty. And just, just to give the abbreviated version, um, the jury cannot reach a verdict. They're split. 
Yeah. The jury's hung mistrial number two. I look, I am too in my own brain. And I can't even imagine if I heard courtroom testimony. Yeah. So, you know, here's the thing. Like if he, if he did do it, me personally, I'm going to need, I'm going to need more compelling evidence. I, I would not, I can't at this point in time, I can't say one way or the other, you know, there's, do I think it was a crime of opportunity and, and that it was a, you know, just. Are we, are we getting into that right now? Yeah. 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 Right. Because, well, yeah, you go ahead and finish that thought. I'm sorry. Well, no, that's all I was going to say is that, you know, it would take a whole lot more than any of this to convince me that he actually did it. Yes. Simply based on the fact that there is no evidence. And and that's a good point. Here are the things I can't get past. Of course, I would love to have the luxury of time to go through the actual courtroom testimony and evidence of both trials. I like, I really would nerd on that out on that, but I just don't have the time to do that. But from what I have listened to what you presented and what I have dug up on my own, um, the things I can't get around are, um, Eric or Derek, right. The first responders, um, that alone, it causes reasonable doubt in my mind. So I just would not be able to convict him if I were a juror. Um, I, um, let's see, what was the other one? There was the keys situation, which the way that I interpreted it or actually read it was that, um, and maybe you have more clarification on this, but that when he was walking back, because he did a lot of walking, which I get, because he doesn't have a vehicle. Okay, that that make actually makes sense to me. This is right. a small area, you know. You got the the where he lives, his sister lives, and then you've got the M and M, which is you know pretty central to this area. Um, the keys are on his route when he's walking. That mm-hmm. if that's not shifted or manipulated, and that is the case, that is. That is interesting to me because then that means that she's there with the car, but the keys are on this route that he happens to be taking to go wherever, you know, so that that's pretty interesting. Okay. That's what makes me lean. Okay. Well, maybe lean toward, maybe he didn't do it, but then there's the Eric or the Derek that makes me lean toward. Okay. Well, he didn't, you know, mm-hmm. um, yes, she truly said Eric or Derek because you know that was explained away by uh Dr. Hickerson and the speech language pathologist that essentially like if you put your tongue on the roof of your mouth and you and you try to say something okay like she doesn't have her tongue is not uh it's basically but, burned away. But even to get Eric, though, you know what I mean? Like, you're right. Well, and I don't know enough about it, but she walked like she walked. Like, I can't get that out of my mind. She got up and walked like she's a warrior. She is a 
fighter and just mm-hmm. unbelievable to have 90% of your body burned. And not only that, like just, okay, if you were to have some accelerant poured down your nose and mouth, you wouldn't be okay. You mm-hmm. wouldn't be 100% okay. Like, And no. I'm not talking about anybody striking a match at that point, lighter or whatever. Like, well, you got chemical burns going on. The fact that she, I didn't realize initially that when first responders arrived, she was across the street. Right. Or the road. Right. Right. Away she from. She walked across the road right. into the woods. Right. Right. And so just imagine like you had accelerant. God, that must be God awful to have that in your mouth and your nose. The your airwaves, your only two airways. Okay, you have that, and then you are lit on fire, and you're fully aware that this has happened to you. Right. That to me is the most horrific, heinous thing. Is that she knew she was fully aware of what had happened, and who did that to her? Okay, and who did it? But the fact, so that makes me think if you're doing all that, then just the, the, the first responders testimony that they're saying, Eric or Derek, I just feel like that's so compelling. Like that's not Quentin tell us to me, you know, that's the thing. So, well, yeah. And I, I get that. I do. So I was, I was actually, my husband watched the docu- documentary with me, and I said to him, one thing it makes me think of is like, okay, so you have the responder that asked her, you know, baby girl, who did this to you? And she said something that sounded like to that person, Eric or to another person, possibly Derek, but was it a situation, and this is just me, you know, playing devil's advocate, was it a situation where what he thought she said, Eric, and he turns around and says, she said, Eric, she said, Eric, she said, Eric, she, and it's like past the word. Yeah. Well, And okay. they all think they heard her, heard her say Eric. Right. And then you, then it's not a actual memory. It's actually, um, I'm not, I forgot what you call that, where it's, it's not the actual memory from what you remember. It's what you think. It's what someone thinks they heard and they told you. So now you think you heard it too. Like you, your brain gets reprogrammed in a way. Like for example, this is what gets me all the time. You, forever and and ever growing up, like our mom was, we would always look at our photographs, or or you know the, the um, the oh my god, our pictures, and I personally don't remember you know being so young in some of these pictures what was going on, but through the years, our mother had told us, oh that's when you did this, and this is when you did that, and then it, it was so much to the fact where it. It feels like that was a memory. Okay. Well, I you know can demonstrate that. I do because I, and I can demonstrate that because on a prior episode, I believe it was Louisiana Saturday night, which is, um, 
Just our your sister podcast. podcast. <laughs> for listeners, that's that's April's podcast with her husband Robert, and um, we were talking about the time when you went canoeing with mom and dad, and you recalled that situation, and I thought that I was there, and you were like, yeah. no, you weren't. I was like, yeah, you weren't. Yeah. How do you remember that? You were at at yeah. home in the comfort of your crib. With, your crib. You were a baby. Like, you're you like, you don't remember that. But I thought I did remember it. That's right. Because I you'd heard that story probably from me and from everybody in our family. I truly thought I was there. Right. Until yeah. you told me that I wasn't. Exactly. That's what you're talking about. That so that is a, that is how I can understand you know, that that could have been the case too. And I'm not saying that it wasn't an Eric or a Derek. I'm just saying, I don't feel like looking at the photos of her mouth in the fixed open position with the burned lips and tongue. Yeah. I can't imagine that anything that she uttered was enunciated clearly. That's anything. I don't think she enunciated help me clearly. I don't think she enunciated the fact that she was thirsty or wanted water or he did this to me or he set me on fire. I don't think any of those things could have been clearly enunciated, but I don't know for sure because I wasn't there. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. But they just seem to tell that with such conviction. And if that's how they conveyed it in the courtroom, then I, that would be enough for me to have reasonable doubt that this, that he didn't do it. Um, and that's well, just, that's, true. that's one thing. So we had talked about Derek Holmes because yes. we thought maybe she's, he, she did say Eric or Derek. So he was the foot rubber. That um, was rubbing his, his mother's, diabetic mother's feet. We had a lot of characters in this story oh. that we've nicknamed. Um, of course, Rando. I hope we don't get in trouble for that. There's Rando, but rubber. Yes. So shifty. I just, shifty. I just wanted to go back to him because um, we did mention that his, he was alibi. He alibied up by his, family and that right there's you know i mean ironclad no for sure it's not ironclad right like it's not something that's documented where you were say in jail like her boyfriend was or you were like at work and they can say yeah you you know that's your family you know not saying the family's lying and not saying he wasn't there but Maybe it was possible that the um, investigators were just very myopic on this, and they only had their sights on Quentin Tellus, yeah. and just, just to hone in on him, they were just like, oh, well, he, he alibied this. up, and he's good. Nothing to see here. Let's wipe our hands. Like, walk away, guys. It was good enough. Yeah. I don't know. That's just my thought there, because, I mean, there's, well, a, there's a Derek. Is it possible that every single solitary Derek or Eric in the county and surrounding areas were fully vetted? Because what if there was an Eric or a Derek from out of town there staying with somebody that they sure. didn't know to be a resident? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. They did say 
I did come across that they did ask every Eric and Derek there. But you're right. Like, I mean, how many, how many did they say, oh, well, I was rubbing my mom's back, you know, <laughs> just like the foot right. rubber. Or, you know, you can ask her. Yeah, he was. That kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, there's a guy, too, in the documentary who is actually incarcerated, but they interview him. I forget his name. But... He basically hit the nail on the head because, you know, one of the things that we touched on where we haven't really talked about at great detail was the systemic racism in the area. Yeah. Um, I'm almost inclined to say it goes without saying, but no, people who are not from the area are not familiar with the dichotomy and the culture, you know, it's very much alive and well, the racism is. And this guy said, and he's a black guy that's in jail. He said, you know, and and I'm paraphrasing, but he'd have, he said something like, you'd have to be really stupid to kill a white girl in Mississippi like that. You know, he was just basically saying, and what he was saying is, two, he didn't think that Quintillus was, this is terrible to say, but smart enough to pull that off and get out of and get away with it. Yikes. And this was like a jailhouse interview. Yeah. Wow. The other thing to that is, though, so, okay, so if you're saying, if we are saying that, um, so Quentin Tellis did not do this, and possibly neither Derek Holmes, which we are really saying this, um, then that means that's somebody else that nobody even thought of, but that's that's absolutely possible, because how many times have we... um, you know, it's it just seems like it's it's unsolvable until you actually do solve it, right? Because exactly. It's just oh my gosh, this is just a crazy. It's a mystery, but then that's only because for whatever reason we just don't know who this was, and say it's just some person, Mister X or Mrs. Mm-hmm. X. I mean, because it could possibly be. Um, uh, uh, you know, if it was Quentin, maybe he worked, uh, uh, he had a, somebody else helping him, or maybe it was, um, uh, maybe it wasn't a guy, maybe it was a girl, maybe it was somebody because she was messing around with, uh, spending time with Quentin Tellus. He obviously w- had a lot of females that he was entertaining through, well, through, um, you know, uh, phone texts and conversations. Because well, at one point, Erica. I saw, like, five people. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. What if it was Erica? Could be. Yeah, could be. I didn't come we across that. We don't know. And Erica. But you're right. What if she couldn't say the A? And she said, yeah. If all she got out was Erica. Well, it, it the, here's the thing. This is what I truly think. If there is to be a third trial if they are to bring him back to trial they're gonna have to come with some solid evidence or 
the invest there needs to be an investigation needs to be reopened. Something I don't I do not this is unsettling to me because I do not feel that that anything has been solved and that's why I said in the beginning this needs to continue to be talked about until it is. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. And then sometimes it takes forever, but then somebody will um, break up with somebody else and say, oh, well, there was this time that my ex, you know, because they're going through some kind of revenge, told me about a time when he got pissed off and he did such and such. You know, sometimes that happens where um, you just have to wait, kind of wait it out and see if um, people who are keep keeping so tight lip because somebody certainly knows something mm-hmm. and people are keeping tight lip. But then time changes that because things happen and well, either and somebody can't is, hold on to that. Yeah. yeah, this is recent. It's a recent. Yes, absolutely. Um. Mm-hmm. case and you know I just can't imagine being a, one of her family members or friends and like and just not having resolution so this not is, having no right absolutely not but this is what I was thinking of so who had the accelerant like who had the the whether I've seen lighter fluid, I've seen where it was gas, I've seen where it was just just general accelerant. So, but the thing about it is, like, where was she while they were getting? Like, let's just say if it was Quentin, tell us. Okay, so they were riding around all day, and and I can see where some people might think that was him because he's the last person to be with her and see her alive, and um. I know there was floated the idea that he, that she refused his advances, um, mm-hmm. his sexual advances. So, you know, that might be a motive to kill somebody. Wow. I don't know. That's quite a stretch. However, um, you know, there could be many reasons why you could get there. Uh, but anyway, so they're riding around. Everything's cool. You go eat, you go to Taco Bell. You've been hanging out days before. Don't really know them, but for a couple of weeks, but you're still hanging around them in the in the days and 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 hours before, and then all of a sudden, like, so where was she and what was she doing when? Because it was her car that they were in when they were riding around and hanging out together. So where did the accelerant come from? If it was him, like, right. what was she doing? Like, he had to run go get some, and then then what? She because okay, so she's. But she did have a gash on her head, and we did talk about. So she was beaten. Maybe she was knocked out. But then you have to think. Um, you either have to think, okay, she she's dead. Let me get rid of the evidence, or okay, maybe she's knocked out. Let me go get this, and we'll you know go burn her. Where like that's that's the disconnect for me. But then at the same time, though, if this is a crime of opportunity, somebody came upon her. And it was her car, and she was in this like remote area. Who had who had the accelerant? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, and these—that's what I'm saying. Like these are these are questions that need to be answered that have not. Right. Yeah. So. And you know, one of the things too that 
is unsettling is the fact that I, so it's my understanding from what I could tell in doing my research, he, Quentin Tellis completed his sentence for the unauthorized use of the credit card. But I believe he has been charged with second degree murder on the uh, murder case of um, Ming Chen Sayo. Ming Chen, yeah, okay. Mandy was her nickname. So he's currently his bail was set at $300,000. So he's not able to bond out. Right, and the last that um, I saw was that he is in Angola because he was indicted on second-degree murder. Yes. Serving a 10-year sentence, which for second-degree, I, I don't know, you can get out before then. You do. I, I think you can. I mean, that's what I hear. I don't know. Again, I'm not a <laughs> expert in corrections well, either. Well, me either, but... So I thought it was that he had completed the 10 year sentence and um, char got charged with the second degree murder and can't bond out. Oh, okay. I'm not sure. That was my understanding and I could be totally wrong, but you know, this girl was stabbed 34 times and I think the reason why he's been charged with second degree is because cell phone data okay. independent of the case in Mississippi just want to clarify that places him in the vicinity of her apartment wow. when she's killed okay so um, that is the other thing I, w I was wondering, and I didn't come across this. Um, if you're so okay, if you are burned like that, ninety percent of your body's burned. Now they did say, and I, I even talked to you about this offline. So if you, they did say she had a gash, right? And he, and there was evidence yes. of her being beaten, uh, and that could be like bones, I guess you can. Bones. I don't know. Anyway, when you're doing the autopsy, I'm sure there are other things that, that things, oh my God, way out of what I know, um, how you can tell that you've been beaten, but then you've also been burned. Like to me, I'm just thinking bruising and that's, your skin's going to be gone. So uh, like, how else would you know? But I'm sure there are other ways. Okay. So I sent all that to ask, would a, if you're burned that to the degree that she was, if there was any stabbings, would that cover that up? Like, you know, was this something to cover it up? Like, was she stabbed? It, to show that there's a pattern mm -hmm. of, you know, Quinn's supposed allegedly stabbed um, Ming Chen Seo, and then did she, did he possibly stab Jessica Chambers too? And then he burned her and covered her up. Covered her well, up. that's interesting because if, if that happened... And there was, I guess, a, if she bled out or whatever, it was all burned in the vehicle. There was no evidence. Right. Of, so I think, I think, I think it's very plausible that, that she was, that she did have 
uh, injuries that, that could have just gone away because her entire body was incinerated. That's what I think, too. Yeah, a lot of that was was not... Um, but what about, burned. like, forensics on people where there's only a skeleton left? Aren't they able to kind of piece together causes of death? I mean, I think so. I don't know. Like, you know, here I am, like, starting to try to remember, but that's where I might now start. Now I'm asking questions <laughs> that I know. Right. I have, I have no idea. Right. That would be way over anything I know, way past anything I know. But, yeah, I just, we could not have this podcast and not cover this case as, one, as you know, two sisters from Mississippi from a um right from a you know sweet darling child from Mississippi as well yeah young, regardless young, young of, lady I'm sorry well I mean regardless of you know what things she were she was involved in you know it doesn't you can you cannot discount the fact that she was not only a beautiful girl externally, but the people close to her, her family and friends, you know, nobody's perfect, but I think she was just a really kind person. Yeah. A caring person and sweet person that people liked. And, you know, everybody's got, you know, their flaws, but, Nobody, and I mean nobody walking this earth deserves to endure what she did. And, you know, I would just encourage anyone that has taken time to listen to this that if, if you do know anything or, um, think you might know something, please reach out to Panola mm-hmm. County uh, Sheriff's Department or Mississippi Bureau of Inge- Investigation or the FBI. Like, if you know something, please the, say something. Do the right thing. That's right. Absolutely. And with that, that's the case of Jessica Chambers. Yeah, thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Good night. You've been listening to Southern Discomfort with April and Christine. As you can tell, this is one of the most unique podcasts on the internet. So we want you to be able to reach out to us. Send emails to Southern Discomfort Podcast at gmail.com. On Facebook at Southern Discomfort Podcast. And on Instagram at Southern Discomfort PC. And for shows, visit Southern Discomfort.podbean.com. And this podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts. Till next time, keep one eye open because you never know what you might see. This is Southern Discomfort. Signing off.